We just come before you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for everything you've given us. We ask you to guide us as we look at these verses and see what you'd have us to learn from these. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Psalm 133, really long psalm, three verses long. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard and even Aaron's beard. It went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descendeth upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commands a blessing, even life forevermore. So we're going to look at this. Uh, this is just one of those pleasant uh, psalms that we have out there. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. And this is something we know pretty much ex uh, exper experientially. You know, if you've been in a place where you've been in unity, it's a wonderful place to be. And if you've been, been in a place with disunity, whether it's a church or a family or a business or anything, it's a miserable place to be. But unity is wonderful. And it says, behold. You know, look at how good, and good here can be pleasant, agreeable, good, excellent, beneficial, and how pleasant literally is delightful and sweet, agreeable. So he's saying, you know, it is a pleasant, wonderful thing, and it is so agreeable when brethren dwell together in unity, in oneness. And it's a wonderful thing, whether it's, like I say, whether it's a church, a family, uh, business for unity to be there is very pleasant. Then he goes into a little bit of po poetic picture here. It is like the precious ointment or the oil uh, that was poured upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, and it went down to the skirts of his garment. And we talked this a little bit about the whole idea of anointing. What, in uh, Christian circles, we think of anointing as just putting a little drop of oil on somebody. In the Old Testament, when they anointed somebody, they poured a cruise of oil over your head, and that could be anywhere from five to 20 gallons of oil. All right, this anointing was a serious business. When you were anointed, you basically sloshed home to get your bath or your shower or to the river to get cleaned up. It was not... You knew you had been anointed. There was no secret anointing. Everybody knew you were anointed. It was a big deal. And this is olive oil they would pour over here. So if you've ever dealt with olive oil, it's a very thick substance that's coming down. And this picture talks about it pouring off Aaron's head, down his beard, dripping off his beard, going down his garments, down to the very ends of his garments and dripping off. Somewhere between five and twenty gallons is the, 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 their their horn of oil. Depending on how big the horn. Depending on how big the horn was. And you know, not usually the person. The, the the horn the horn of oil they would use. Oh. Uh, a lot of olives. It's a lot of oil too. But you know, we're going back to this first part. Dwell together in unity. Unity is a theme in the New Testament. In Romans twelve. Verse 5, we're told, I'm going to go ahead and read these verses just to bring them up. And I didn't mark them ahead of time. Romans 12:5 says, So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. We're supposed to be one body in Christ. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 17, for we being one, many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Basically, we are all made into one loaf is the point of that, that uh, thing. And, and we talk about how flour is ground and all the pieces of wheat become one, one mix in the flour and it makes one, one joined up loaf of bread. Ephesians 4.13 we all come into the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto the perfect man, unto the measure and statue of the fullness of Christ. Unity shows that we are uni at unity with Christ. And without being unified with Christ and being hidden in Christ, we will not be one with one another. We won't have true unity. Because people are always trying to do what's best for themselves if they're outside of Christ. And we see it. You know, even, even if you have peace in a business setting, Usually it's because people have decided to give somebody else their way and just let them do whatever it is they want to do. And, but the world, for us as Christians, because we're in Christ, we're giving our way to Jesus and then allowing him to be the one that leads us. Human nature, the flesh is still, even if you're a good Christian, still find yourself doing what's best for you. Frequently. Frequently, unless you are totally committed to doing what God wants you to do. And that's him crucifying our flesh. And it is. I mean, you see it a lot of times in churches where people start losing influence or power or something's moving, and God's moving beyond wherever they're, moving, they're at. And then they get upset and they get a little, little angry about what's going on because they're losing whatever influence it is. Whereas the real attitude that you end up with should be, okay, God, Go ahead and let them do it. You'll find someplace else for me. And that's how my attitude's been forever. I had people go, well, I could do your job better than you. I go, be my guest. There's plenty of things to do in the church. I don't need to be doing any one thing. I can do anything within the church. At some point, sometime, somebody feels like they're being disrespected and will come, come out and strike out against what's going on. And all we can do is let God deal with that situation and go forward with it. Because God does a wonderful job taking and protecting people. And it's very important for us to understand that that's all we need to, to understand is he keeps the unity. Because we are unified in him. And you know, picturing us as the body of Christ, what happens when we end up cutting some part of our body? It bleeds. What ends up happening in, in all the medical terms is that all the cells around that area give up their blood supply temporarily so the blood flows to the area that's hurting. They do damage to themselves so that the injured area will be taken care of. Too many times in the church, we attack and, and brutalize the person who is trying to be ununified. And we really need to just pray for them not listen to their griping and arguing, but say, you know, hey, I'm not gonna, I don't need to listen to it. But pray for them and let God deal with giving them whatever it is that they need to learn. Is it an easy thing to do? No. It's not easy to, to ignore the person who's trying to cause dissension, who's, who's being har you know, harming the body, but we need to be able to step back and say, okay, we're going to do it. Because the saddest thing about listening, and this is something I've said before, and I've been trained, do not listen to negatives. Why? Because whether you believe the negative attack or not, 
it plants a bad thought within your mind. And at that point, you may not believe it the first time you hear it, but then somebody else gives you that same rumor or something, and it plays upon what you already have heard in the past. And eventually, you start wondering and being affected by it. So be very careful. You cannot listen to negativity and get away scot-free. Even if you don't believe it and you're going, well, I just need to, I need to help protect that person. Well, no, God can protect them. God can help them. Don't allow them to spread that, spread that negativity. And believe me, I've seen God take care of so many times over the years. You know, he will deal with those. And unfortunately, he deals harshly with them if they won't learn their lesson. And we want to be very careful with this. You know, unity is extremely important. And we want to, if somebody's going to be dis, cause disunity in a, in a body or a business or anything, they need to be set off aside. A poison and cancer needs to be set off aside and not, not uh, be part of what's going on. But here he says that this unity is like that ointment where they, Aaron was, was anointed with. Then he goes one more further point, as the dew of Haran upon the mountain of Zion. Dew in the middle of a desert. And you know, we've got to think about this. For us here in Chloride and Mojave County, we kind of know exactly what a little moisture can do to the desert. Doesn't take much, and all of a sudden, well, weeds. You know, it becomes green. It becomes green, and you can get some flowers, and and it's pretty amazing. It's also pretty amazing how fast it turns brown again, and they die. But this picture here of the dew on on Mount Hermon and and Israel is that whole idea. Just a little bit of dew, a little bit of moisture, and everything just springs to life, and it's beautiful. And he says that unity brings life. That unity brings life. And it says, in unity, for there the Lord commands a blessing, life forevermore. You know, when God is lifted up through our unity, people notice. And it's pretty amazing when people look at a church and they see unified Christians loving one another. Because they are so used to seeing people that won't love one another. They're used to seeing dysfunctional families that are all out to get what they can get. People in the business world do the same thing, trying to get what's best for them. And as Amy said early, earlier, that's human nature. What's best for me? Let me I'm going to get whatever I can out of this deal. As a matter of fact, a lot of people go, I'm going to get everything I can out of this deal, even if it hurts everybody else. But you know, our churches need to be unified, lifting up Christ in all that we're going forward. Yeah, when you missed the second verse. The oil being poured over his head, the precious ointment the pleasant, agreeable oil upon his head that ran down. And this goes back to the picture in Exodus 30:30, when the high priest was anointed. They poured the oil on Aaron's head and his son's heads. Okay, the picture of Aaron, because he's the high priest, but it was also pre put over the, the, their heads. Why? Because they were actually supposed to be the pinnacle and the point of being unified. They're the ones that offered the, the offerings. They're the ones that gave the sacrifices. They were the ones that everything was focused on for worship. Kind of had the same situation that with a pastor or a teacher in a class that is the focus of everything. Then hopefully people are learning something to help bring themselves into unity. And that oil, that anointing, ran down his beard all the way down to the skirts of his garment. The, and it's literally the extremities. 
And we've talked about how oil represents, represents the Holy Spirit. And we as Christians should be so anointed by the Holy Spirit that he is dripping completely off of us. Not just in us, not just on us, but literally the Holy Spirit should be splashing out on everybody on everything that we do. God should be so full of, you know, splashing out. If you've ever tried to carry a container that is completely full, you know, not, not, just, not just full. We're talking full, you know, because most of us don't fill containers without a lid to the top because you can't really carry a cup that's full all the way to the top. You're going to, you're going to spill it because even if you just stop real quick, the liquid keeps trying to run over and out. And the Holy Spirit is in us to that kind of point. He wants to be so full that he's running down through us, over our garments, splashing everybody around us. You know, so think about that. When we're walking around serving God, God should be splashing everybody. Hey, how are you doing, splash, splash? <laughs> hey, are you having a good day, splash, splash? I'm just walking past you, getting you all wet with the Holy Spirit. Which is also why many times people are annoyed with us as Christians because we don't even have to say a word because the Holy Spirit is there being splashing on them and bringing them conviction because they're not where they're supposed to be. And if you've ever been to somebody, sometimes they'll get very angry and you haven't even said a word just because you, just as you showed up. You're a Christian and they're not a Christian and they get, they get irritated because you showed up. It's not hard for this to happen. I mean, people feel the presence of God, which can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on their, on their response. But if somebody's already under any kind of conviction from God or dislike of God because they've had bad experiences with other Christians and stuff, they may react pretty harsh against God's presence. So then we see the do that we talked about, and then it says God commands a blessing because of unity. Life forevermore. Unity will draw us into the body of Christ. It will draw us into life. And we want to just keep this in mind, you know, life forevermore. You know, there's people that will say the Jews do not believe in heaven and hell. They don't believe in eternal life. But, you know, the scriptures all through the Old Testament very clearly talk of heaven and hell. Now, just because they choose not to believe it is very much like many Christian groups in our day and age that don't believe in the Bible and, and don't believe in heaven and hell. They don't believe in Jesus being the Son of God. And yet they'll say they're Christians. Now, I don't know what they're believing, and especially when they tell you Jesus isn't the Son of God and he's not the way to salvation. It's like, okay, so what are you believing as a Christian? Accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and made him our Lord and made him our only way, we are really not believers in Christ. And we need to keep these things in mind because too many people, and this is why when we're sharing with people about Christianity and they go, well, I'm a Christian, we need to, especially in our age, dig down into that and go, okay, what does that mean that you're a Christian? What does it mean that you're a follower of Christ? Or I, I'm of the faith. I really hate that term. I'm of the faith. What, what, faith, what faith are you the, of? You know, is, uh, there can be a lot of things to have faith in. Uh, we we want to look at those things and be able to just take a chance and ask somebody you know, a little more deeper question. What does it mean? Who is Jesus even in our day and age? You know, sometimes they don't even know who Jesus is. You know, in this country, it used to be you didn't, you didn't have to explain to people who God is. Is it our business as Christians to police every other group out there that are, that are, that are speaking about uh, their God or even a God? And the answer to that is no. My job as a pastor is not to police every other church and pastor in the, 
in this area that I know, that's, they've got to stand or fall before God, whether they're preaching right or not. Now, if I know a pastor is preaching wrong and half my church is going to their church for Bible studies in the middle of the week or something, then, yes, it would be my job in the church to say, don't go meet this guy because he is teaching this, 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 and this, and that's not biblical. But that would be the only way that I'd be saying something is if I knew that I got a number of my people going to a, to a pastor who's not preaching biblically. Now, if they're being taught biblically, more power to them. You'll get some more Bible study out of your way. And, uh, but for the most part, I'm not going to go speak against these other churches, other pastors. Anytime you're, you're, you're flat with God, you're not growing with God, you can expect something big to happen to to make you fall flat on your face because he doesn't want us to no. stay flat because you don't stay flat. You're actually already on your way down. You don't ever stay flat. That's right. If you're not going forward and upward with God, you're going down. And there's no standing still with God. You're either going forward with him and upward with him or you're losing, losing ground. And if you keep losing enough ground, you, he'll pull the carpet out from under you and make you bring you to a point where you will either curse God or come back to him. Because I think that's part of what happened to Job. Job was kind of cruising along. You know, I've been blessed. I'm doing good. And I think he was basically flat. Yes, God said, you hate evil. You're, you're doing these things. But I think it became ritual. He was just doing what needed to be done. And his love for God had kind of dwindled. And God pulled the carpet out from underneath them. And you can see it in his words. You know, I've been good. I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. Why did this happen to me? And God's saying, I want you to go deeper. And this is something we've got to understand. God wants us to keep going deeper and deeper with him. He doesn't want us playing just in the shallows or on the beach. He wants us to be in the deep water with him, wade into the water and keep, keep going. And he says, the flood's out there. You know, so that's what I want. I want you to be swept away. God wants us to get out into the, into the water with him and get so deep that we go where he takes us, not where we not being in control. But you know, we as humans like to be in control. God, don't do anything where I am not in control. It's scary. It's scary to have God in control. Who knows what he's going to ask you to do, who he's going to ask you to talk to, what, what he may ask you to do. Sometimes he makes what seems to be very unreasonable to me. <laughs> but they're not when you look back. When you look back over them, they're not. But you're right, at the time that they're going, God, that makes no sense, or God, that's impossible. I can't do that. Well, you think about Gideon. Gideon's threshing wheat in the middle of a wine press, which is kind of difficult because there's no wind to thresh the wheat with. And the angel of the Lord comes in and says, oh, valiant warrior. And Gideon's uh, response basically is, who are you talking about? Uh, it's definitely not, you know, is there somebody else in here? No, I don't know how you got in here, but is there somebody else between, other than us two? You know, you're, you're obviously talking to, uh, you know, John down there, you know, John over there, you know, two houses over. You know, he's the warrior. You, go, you, you hit the wrong house. But that's the way the spirit is with us. Angel comes to Mary and said, oh, chosen one, what are you talking about? You know, uh, I'm only, I'm only a, a young girl. What are you, who are you talking to? Oh, by the way, you're going to have a baby. And I, nope, not possible. <laughs> not possible, Joseph. I'm married. You know, we're, we're engaged, I'm engaged. You know, I'm close to being able to be a mom, but not yet. 
How many times does God do these things to people in the Bible? And yet we panic sometimes when he gives us the impossible to do. Think about most of the people in the Bible that God calls. Moses, murderer, shepherd, just hanging out in the desert because he's got nothing better to do with his life because he's been run out of the royal palace and probably feeling sorry for himself, you know, because he knows what, what's been left behind. He, he, he lives in a tent. He lives in a tent. He's got a wife. He's getting kids, you know, and he's, he's somewhat content. But he also knows what it means to live his royalty and be in charge of an army, and he's well-trained. He goes out and he gets talked to by a, you know, by a bush. <laughs> A burning bush. You know, take your shoes off. And all the excuses he makes why he can't serve God. We look at, we look at all the different characters in the Bible. You know, Joseph, you know, he starts out pretty arrogant with his brothers, you know, with these dreams, telling everybody how they're going to bow down to him. You know, anybody with half a grain of knowledge you know, would have been able to say, well, I don't think I'm going to share this with my brothers. Uh, I'm the youngest of, of 11 brothers. I really think they're going to love this uh, message that they're going to bow down to me. So then they, sell him, then they sell him into slavery. And at that point, he's probably thinking, okay, I'm, I'm through. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how this dream will ever come true. And every time he gets up, he gets knocked back down. He gets to be the top of Potiphar's house. He's running the whole house. And oh, the next thing you know, he's in prison on a false charge, another false charge, you know. First he's sold as a slave you know, by his brothers, and then he's, then he's thrown into prison on a false charge. And you know, next thing you know, he's being promoted. About that time, you know he's thinking, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to get out of this prison. Because every time, you know, probably even thinking, I don't even want to get out of the prison at this point because something bad is going to happen again. We know how human nature are. It doesn't say that about him, but I can picture... You know, you're, you're being called a pharaoh. Oh, great, now what's going to happen to me? You know, what's going to happen to me now? How much lower can I go? I went from, I went from slave to prisoner. What's, what's the next thing that's going to happen to me? I was watching the ice skater the other day, and, and the ice skaters, they fall a lot. I mean, a lot of them have been falling, you know. As soon as they fall, they get back up, and they're back in the routine again. And I was thinking about that as far as Christians do, or as people. Well, that's what exactly we're told in the scriptures is when we fall, we're to get back up and get right back into the race. Because many Christians fall and stay fallen. They get into a pity party. Well, God, you didn't keep me, you didn't keep, you didn't keep me out of these problems, so now I'm just going to lay here and, and wallow in the mud for a decade or two. Hopefully not that long, but you know, I've, I've seen people who've wallowed in the mud for several decades. And you know, we want to keep an, a full understanding of it's all by grace anyway. So even if I fall, it was still God having to lift me back up and put me back in place. And God says, I'm ready to lift you up. Why? Because it's by grace. Everything in our life is a grace gift from God. Whatever we have. And we need to be able to understand that if, they, if I think I have to do anything to please God, I don't understand God. Because it's all grace. I cannot please God in anything I do. All I can do is let him work through me and let him give me a gracious gift and gracious acceptance back from him. And we've got to fully understand everything is grace. And nothing, nothing I do is going to be 
rewarded if it's done in my flesh. Because God will not let flesh stand before him. And if I start getting to a place where I get myself in such a routine that it's just me, and I've talked about it this morning, you know, you get up and you read your, you read your Bible and you pray and you, and you ask, you know, you can get to the place where it's just routine. Nothing wrong with what you're doing, but also nothing right about what you're doing because you're not focused on God. You're just saying, here's my box. I get up every morning, I pray, I read my Bible, and I do this and I do that, and you check off your little check boxes. And if that's all you're doing, you've got your reward. You've checked your box off. But you get up in the morning and say, God, I just can't wait to start getting to your word to find out what you're going to tell me for today. And you go into his word looking for something and asking him to show you. And you go into prayer time with God and you just have a good time of talking with him. You're doing it for a whole different reason, not just a reason to mark off your boxes. And God is looking for that kind of relationship with him because he knows it is a grace gift. All right, Psalm 134. Behold, bless you the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord that made heaven and earth bless you out of Zion. Ah, here we go, another very quick, simple, simple song of praise. It says, praise you the Lord. Give boast. Give boast. That's what praise means, boast. Boast about God. Do you spend a lot of time boasting about God in, around people? Oh, it makes so much fun. I used to tell you when I was working in the restaurants, I used to have fun. You know what God did yesterday for me? People would look at me like I was a total nut. Because most of them weren't Christians. They hadn't gone to church in who knows how long. And they'd look at me, and after a while, they just kind of got used to it. Well, he's going to give God the glory again. He's going to tell, say that God did this again. But you know, is that what we do to people? Do we let people, do we boast about what God has done? Do we tell people about, you know, God has done so much for me. He has, he has done this. He has done this. Whatever it might be. I find it fun to tell what, what God has done, how he's blessed. You know, God is so blessed. I mean, I have a job that pays all my bills now, and it's a great blessing, and I always want to remember it's a blessing. I don't ever want to get to the place where I think this job, you know, take this job for, the second job for granted. Because it is a blessing to know that all, by the end of the month my bills are going to be paid. You know, because it is a blessing that God gives. Boast in him. Praise him. It says, praise you the Lord. And then again, just in case you didn't get that, praise you the name of the Lord. Okay? And we've talked about this name. All that his name stands for. His entire reputation. And then, just in case you didn't get it, there he goes, praise him, O you servants of the Lord. So we have here a triple declaration to praise God, boast in God. How much time do we spend really seeking God to boast in him? I love being able to tell people, you know what God has done? You know, God is so good. He is so good. He gives me peace that passes understanding. He gives me joy over most everything that's going on and an overarching joy that just keeps me moving forward for him. Even when things go wrong, there's joy and peace involved with it because I trust him. And I'll tell people, you know, this is so wonderful. That I can't wait to see how God's going to fix this, this part of my life. Uh, 
And, I, and I've used the example before. And it's one of the ones where I did everything right on a weekend. And that's when we went down to Tucson about five years ago and everything went wrong. The car breaks down. You know, and everybody's worried about how are you getting home? How are you going to get there? How are you going, you know, what, where do you put your trust? You know, Satan was saying, trying to say, are you going to give up? You're going to worry about your car all weekend. And like I said, I don't always do it right, but that was one time I really did it right. And going, well, God, uh, there's a car over there sitting in the parking lot that doesn't work. You, you, you kind of figure out what we're going to do with it and enjoy the week with, uh, weekend with God. Now, there are times when I haven't done it, but you know, I'm getting better at being able to just say, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm just going to trust you. Praise you the name of the Lord. If we just truly understand, he's in control. The tighter my walk with God gets, the way things just, my favorite word, supernaturally seem to work for the right, seem to work out. I have found, as I get started, by not worrying, it all, but I don't want me to do very much. It all pieces together and works in the end. And I know it's because I have a stronger relationship with God. Mm -hmm. You have a tr you're, you're having a trust in God, but we don't worry about it. We don't we don't concern ourselves with how this is going to work out. We don't we don't sit there and say, "Well, God, I know that you say you're going to take care of it, but I've just got to figure this out." And people will do that over and over. They recognize they need to give it over to God, and it's the old play where somebody comes up to the cross, drops all the bag, you know, coming loaded down with a bunch of bags and stuff, puts it all in front of the cross, starts to walk away with nothing, reaches back, grabs a bag. You know, starts to walk away, goes back and grabs another bag, yeah. ends up leaving with all the bags that they had. And sometimes, okay. on really in one case, I saw they had bags up there to begin with, and they walked out with all the other bags too. <laughs> so, you know, they, they just would not leave everything at the cross before God. You know, our job is to just give God all of our concerns, all of our worries, and praise him and know you care enough about me that you're going to fix all these problems. And you know what the good news is? Even if you cause the problems through your sin, he will still fix the problems. You may have some consequences. You may have some hard things. But he will fix the problems and give you a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there is a way out. There hath no temptation overtaking you, but such is common to man. But God will provide a way of escape. You know, always. He gives us a way out if we just give it to him. Now, if I want to do it myself, if I want to try to figure out how to get out of my own problems, God will say, okay, you just keep working on getting out of your own problems and I'll just stand back here in the corner and then when you're finally, when you're finally sick and tired of trying to solve your own problems, I'll come over and take care of them for you and he will do that. If I want to try to defend myself instead of letting him defend me, he'll say, okay, you go defend yourself and I'll just Stand back and watch, you know, I'll have a good laugh while you're trying to, trying to take care of things. If you're trying to do it yourself, it won't work out. He wants you at a point where you're ready to quit and let him take over. We're furious mm -hmm. that you're in that continuous mode. It's, it can't always be good either. I told you before, I spent six years trying to get out of a problem. <laughs> and there were times in the middle of that problem I said, okay, God, I'm tired of this. What, how are you going to get me out of this? And then I, how are we going to get out of this problem? And I give it to him, and then I'd walk back away and take it back upon my shoulders and say, I'm going to figure this out. That's all right. This, this is our human nature, right? 
And the day that God let it work out is when I finally said, God, I just plain give up. I cannot fix this. I give up, and I meant it completely. I give up. And God said, okay, here we go. And he, and he brought about the, the solution to the problem, and it instant, almost instantly changed once I finally said, I give up. It wasn't the first time I had said, I give up. There were many times when I said I gave up and I would go grab it again and go worry about it and, and try to fix it. The hardest thing for us to do as human beings is to let go and let God deal with it. And you know, we just want to be careful and just let God be who he is. Most of it comes down to our lack of trust in God. God, I just don't trust you enough to take care of me. And he says, I am your shepherd. We really have to understand, the shepherd does everything for the sheep. You know, except make them actually eat the grass. But I mean, he takes them to where the grass is, and he takes them to where the water is. But he is the one that takes them to the food. He's the one that takes them to the water. He's the one that protects them from the, from the wild animals. And most of us just don't trust God enough to say, God, you're going to keep your word with us. You're going to be, you are going to be who you say you are going to be. And for the most part, we don't trust him that way. And it takes time, as Amy says, it takes time. And then when we finally learn it, it feels so good just to let him be our shepherd. And that's what I have said over and over. When you get there, when you get there, you're going to be kicking yourself like, why did I let this take so long? Uh, why did I take so long to surrender? Why did I take so long to give up? Behold, bless you the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, which stand by night in the house of the Lord. This takes us back to uh, 1 Chronicles 9.33, where David institutes a 24-hour worship in the temple. And day and night, there were singers assigned to the temple. And they were to sing 24 hours a day in the temple. They were to be doing service 24 hours a day in the temple. And he says, some of you get the pleasure of being there at night. Now, I don't know if that would have been a pleasurable job or not. I don't know how many people visited the temple in the middle of the night. But you know one thing? In reality, what is worship? Too many people believe that worship is whatever I like to do for God. Worship is what God wants. True worship is what God wants in his worship. David understood that. He goes, I'm going to put singers in the middle of the temple when nobody's there but God. Because they're singing to God. Not to the, to the assembled people, though they would enjoy it as well. But you know, one of the hardest things about worship, and I've even said it myself, I don't like that type of song, or I don't like that song. Well, really, does it matter what I like? If it's really being made to God, does it matter what I like or don't like? And we hear it all the time. You, you hear it, I love the choruses and praise songs, or I hate the choruses and praise songs. I want, I want hymns, or I hate the hymns. I, you know, everybody has personal opinions, but you know, true worship is to be done toward God. A lot of the songs in our hymnal are pretty new. You know, there would be a, a generation of people that wouldn't even accept our hymnal because it's, you know, so many new songs in it. But, you know, worship has always been something that has been contentious in churches. Always. And if we really wanted to hold this idea of what's always been done, 
We'd have to go to whatever was before Gregorian chants, because I don't know what was before Gregorian chants. But that was what was sung before hymns. And I don't know what they sang before those, those ones. And if we go all the way back to David, David said, let the, let the horns and the tambourines and the drums and loud cymbals be used. How many people in our generation, especially those who love hymns, would be freaked out with drums and an entire orchestra? And I like to, I like to have people worshiping as long as it's true worship. He says, the night stand. And then he goes next to it, he says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. You know, lift up your hands. What does lifted hands really mean? God, my hands are empty. I have nothing to give you. I surrender to you. Everything I have is yours. I've given it to God. Now, I'm not going to tell everybody they must worship with lifted up hands. I love to put my hands up and just say, God, thank you. I love to just do that because he says all through scriptures, lift up your hands. And the whole picture is my hands are empty, God. I have nothing to give you. Fill them. But then you have to watch the people that do that for the, for the picture. You can do anything. Anything can become self-centered. I mean, and, and we need to be careful with it. We need to be careful that it becomes, doesn't become self-centered. That's what this whole idea of God, I like hymns or I like, you know, like praise songs. You know, I like, I like. It's all about me, God. I want to, I'm coming to church to be entertained and enjoy it and be seen. And that could be seen by raising your hands or not raising your hands if you're in some churches. Uh, could be seen by having a great big smile on your face or in some churches not having a smile on your face. You know, but it all comes down to who are we coming to be with? Who are we coming to be in front of? I, when I'm singing to God, you know, I am singing to God. Verse 3. I, did, I thought I was going to get more than six verses done tonight. The, the Lord, bless the Lord, the Lord that made heaven and earth, bless you out of Zion, the creator. You know, do we, and again, when we're blessing God, when we're worshiping God, are we really thinking about who it is that we're worshiping? We're worshiping the God of this universe, the one who created everything. And it's a great blessing to be able to just spend time praising him. You know, just, you know, you think about this. The God of the universe listens to us. Well, that's the God for protection. And I forget, I should just be worshiping in God. I'm so busy selfishly asking him to do this, 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 and this for me today and protect me. But the next step will be for you just to take pleasure in God. You know, it's all, it's all a, lot of, a lot of growth time. So we sit back and we say, as we're growing with God, he's going to take us into new and deeper relationship with him. We start out at whatever he's teaching us. Protection for you, you know, just sovereignty for, for me. But he says, I'm going to keep taking you deeper and deeper. And I, I tell everybody, the really good news is, every time you think you've arrived, he's got another place further down for you to go to. But you know, the great news is, is you go further in, and it's just a greater and wonderful more experience, and then he takes you even deeper, and you get to say, wow, God, you are just so wonderful. Well, I've had an experience like you talked about, Adam. I'm in, I think, my fourth year reading the Bible cover to cover. I think it's the fourth year I've done it. And almost invariably, at some time during the week, I'll, look, I'll read a verse or a passage and say, 
Where I've never read that before. Then no, I read it the last three years in a row. Like it's all new to me. And I've heard you say that too. You think God word when did you put the split this? Yeah, yeah, and that's my teasing of him because I know it's there, just like you said. You know, I know that I've read it in one of the many, many times I've gone through it. I saw that passage before in the last three years. It was just appeared this morning. And it's just God reaching out and taking us to a new level and a new level of worship, a new level of relationship with him. And God is just so good. He's new. His mercies are new every morning. Every day is a new experience with God if we let it be. And this is why we've got to be careful that it's not just a checkoff box. I'm doing this just to check off my list of things to do for you, God. Because God's saying, I'm not a checkoff box. I've got a blessing to give you that's new every day. A new relationship, a new verse in my word that you've never noticed before because I'm going to lift it up off the page in a new, refreshing way. I've got new experiences for you to go. And if you start living with God in a new relationship every day you're not going to be stagnant you're not going to stand you're not going to go flatline with him you're not going to go down with him you're going to go god i just can't wait to see what we're going to do today lord we just thank for this day we thank you for helping to just show us how to worship lord help us to keep in mind that you are new every day that you are wanting a new fresh relationship with us every day help guide us in all that we do in your son's precious name amen, amen.